Welcome to episode 65 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is even more committed this year to growing grass, Mm -hmm. John Scott Sloat. We're getting to grass growing season here. It's about yes. to start. Um, I spent about 45 minutes over the weekend on YouTube looking at grass lawn care stuff. And some people have immaculate yards, <laughs> like really nice. Is that your goal? I don't think so. I okay. just want grass <laughs> instead of mud. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, I, from what I understand, that's a common question you get asked as you're out and about traveling the globe from listeners. Yeah, who are, yeah. Who when are. I was in Columbus, they were asking me about <laughs> about grass growing. Yes, yes. So, besides your commitment to grass growing, John, uh, what else is going on with you? So, I had a, I had a weird moment at uh, we had life group at, at my house last night, and uh, our friend Heidi uh, looks over Classy me. Classy Heidi. Um, she goes. John, give me, give me, give me the bullet points on the Suez. Suez is that how it's pronounced? I believe so. Yeah, Suez Canal situation. Which, first of all, I did not realize I was her go-to for bullet point <laughs> information about current event topics. Okay, um, but uh, have have had a good week uh, uh, enjoying the Suez Canal. Yeah, stuff. yeah, it's uh, it's been funny to 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 see. Uh, the pictures of that, and you know, pretty remarkable when you think there's this one little, you know, one little, little in one sense. This Suez Canal mm-hmm. is, you know, has like ten to twelve percent of the world's trade that passes through it. So you block that thing up, and that gets problematic. And and ships are going around the tip of Africa now, and and trying to trying to get their trade to Asia and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, you, you know. It, you see that you see those pictures and you think you think you had a bad day. Oh yeah. <laughs> How about the guy that was the captain of that ship, you know, just managing to jam up the Suez yeah. Canal. Yeah. I I saw a headline that said human error thought to be a part of Suez Canal controversy and I went, <laughs> "You think? <laughs> what else?" Yeah, what else could have gone wrong here? Yeah. I mean, what else is going to cause that? There were there were some good internet memes out there. Did you see the one of Ken Ham, uh, who of course uh, is started the Creation Museum and all those things? Answers in Genesis. Yeah, yeah and and sitting in front of uh, what originally was the Ark exhibit. So he's sitting in front of the Ark. <laughs> yeah. Saying, "Hey, come out and see our new exhibit," or, or you know, uh, whatever. And uh, and instead behind him is is the giant boat, the evergreen or, or whatever it's called, is is behind him, and he's just like, "Hey, come out and see our new exhibit," you know. And <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that something can make us laugh in these uh, challenging times. Uh, speaking of things that haven't made me laugh, let's uh, let's 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 talk some NCAA tournament. Oh my. Um, yeah, so a uh, couple things uh, over the weekend, at least games that I noticed. Uh, UC- UCLA beat Alabama uh, last night. That was a good game. Did, that you was, watch, did you watch it? I watched the first three quarters of it, yeah, and then it was time for John to go to bed. Um, so You missed the ending, the, the end of regulation. Did you hear about it? I heard that there was a three-point. Uh, yeah, so uh, UCLA hit, uh, hit two free throws to go up three. 
mm-hmm. with like four seconds left. Uh, and Alabama had to inbound the ball, got the ball down to uh, not even one of their best players. Only Kid only scored these three points. He hit a three from like 30 feet out. But UCLA failed to foul. They mm. had op- they they didn't execute their normal strategy of fouling when up three late, and so it cost them going into overtime. Of course, in overtime they, they did just out. fine and yeah. and extended that game. But so that was my first Final Four team to go down. Okay, um, for me, um, and then uh, Oral Roberts uh, almost won. Yeah, and that w- that was a really good game, and you know had uh, had an open look with uh, you know. Time expiring. Yeah, if you're if you're a basketball guru in terms of the nuts and bolts of drawing up plays and stuff like that, the the play that their coach drew up down to having to go the full length of the floor with 3.1 seconds left was was really well designed to get the ball to their best player. He got two three dribbles to the three point line and had a good clean look that he just couldn't knock down. Yeah, um, and uh, any any other games you wanna you wanna bring up? I mean, everything else kind of went. As I think as we expected for the most part. Yeah, in terms of particular games, I don't know uh, if anything else stood out. I mean, as we record on this Monday morning, we're down to the Elite Eight now. And they're still playing today and tomorrow. These are – yeah, today today and tomorrow are the day, are in the evening mm-hmm. will be when the Final Four gets set. So, um, I mean, the, the big picture takeaway for me is uh, the Big Ten – Absolutely wet their pants and uh, had a terrible tournament. Yeah, uh, the Pac-12 came which out of nowhere. Nobody predicted, other than maybe Bill Walton in one of his uh, chemically altered states. Yes, <laughs> um, has three teams in the Elite Eight. Wild and um, yeah, I think that that to me that's the big headline. There is is the fact, and mm. I also think there was some stat I saw that this was the if you sort of average out the seeds left in the Sweet 16, it was the highest it had ever been. Really? So. Um, I do think it's funny that everybody's been like, oh, this is the year with no blue bloods, you know, all, all, all this all this talk. And then here waltzes UCLA right into the, uh, into the Elite Eight. Yeah. That's an interesting team though because they came on later in the year. Sure. Um, which it feels like that's, a, that's the truth of the, several of these Pac-12 teams that – you know, not we're not necessarily on the national radar, and then have gotten hot at the right time. So that that brings us to um, the. Uh, well, actually, we should mention. We'll mention this here. Uh, it's been an interesting story about Oral Roberts and their mm-hmm. coach has a seminary degree. Yeah, it's a it's a good time to be a coach. It's good. To, it's a good time to have a seminary degree, right? I mean, there's the guy uh, Frank Reich. At uh, the Colts has yes. a seminary degree. Yes, this guy at Oral Roberts. I'm sure there are other people out there doing successful things with seminary degrees. Yes. So you know, if if you're thinking maybe <laughs> I have a, a career in coaching on my horizon, why not come to Grace College and Theological Seminary and get your seminary degree? Absolutely. I mean, feels like a no brainer. Obviously, yeah, yeah. So uh, we should probably talk about the bracket challenge, John. Yeah, so we got Malachi in Indiana, um, one of one of our students who's first right now. Currently, yeah. Um, although I don't think his possible points are super high. Yeah, I think he's I think he's in okay position, but uh, he's 
he's uh, still vulnerable to being caught. Uh, Cameron in Georgia uh, yeah. seems to be the one with the most possible points. Although I think he has Arkansas in his final four, which is a which is a bold pick. Yes, um, but they're still alive. You know, they're yes. still uh, Zach in Ohio is in third, but it's fool's gold because the possible of, points are pretty low. Because his possible points are are pretty low. So, and uh, shout out to my wife who is in sixth, but. You are in uh, ninth. I'm in ninth. Yep. Uh, still, still in contention. Mm-hmm. I have a good number of possible points left. Still. You do. Yeah, you do. And I am in fourteenth. And so I think, I think I am outside the realm of possibility of winning it. Okay. Um, but my goal is not to win. My goal is not to finish last. Yes, and that that spot's already claimed. That spot has been claimed. In our we're we're not going to name names here, but <laughs> that spot is claimed. I do know that my. That my one of my sons was desperately nervous early <laughs> because he was flirting with the basement there and uh, ended up he he will he's guaranteed now not to finish dead last. Yeah, yeah, that was a bold pick to go Texas Tech in the Final Four. You know, <laughs> I mean, the last time we had a tournament, they were national runner up. So yeah. you know, anyway. Um, also, I we didn't have this on the run here, but quickly. Uh, IU hired a new coach. Did you yes, see this? Yes, yes. Uh, Mike Woodson. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I mean, I don't really pay attention to IU basketball that much, but I like Mike Woodson. Yeah, former Knicks coach. Former Knicks coach who got fired in the in uh, Phil Jackson coming in, and it, that was yeah. all very political. It wasn't because of his coaching. Mm-hmm. Guys always played hard for him. Um, he's a defensive-minded coach, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah. Another weird wrinkle in that story is the fact that Thad Mata, thought, former yeah. Ohio State coach, and before that he was at um, he, he coached at Butler as well as Xavier. That IU, there were reports early earlier in the week that that they had basically decided to go with him, and then he failed a physical. Which who knew that coaches took physicals for being hired? But he's had terrible back issues, and seems strange that he would take that job of head coach. Hmm. But they've instead hired him as an associate athletic director. Dealing only with basketball. Dealing only with men's <laughs> basketball. So uh, that will help his health situation I think a little bit and give him still a chance to be involved in the basketball sure. program. So very curious to see how that pans out. Yeah. Did you see Mike Woodson's tweet last night? No. He said something like this. Let me introduce myself. I'm 63 years old. I've never coached college basketball before. I'm the right man for the job. <laughs> that was his pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Bold strategy. Yeah. And yeah. he's he has been with the Knicks organization this year and is now is now leaving. And he has – I mean he has IU roots. Yeah. And, and that's that's a big deal to a lot of these blue blood programs. Mm-hmm. I mean I, – and I get it. Like and that, that comes into play in, in places like Ohio State when it comes to football. Like, you know, that matters that you have some sort of connection to the program – whether as a grad assistant or a player or something or some sort of coach at some point, that matters mm-hmm. at some level. So in any case, curious to see how that shakes out. Yeah. I, I, my, my, my sense of the IU fan reactions that I, uh, that I know is kind of a, eh, we'll see. It seems like anybody other than Archie was was going to be a pot. Like there seemed to be a lot of disdain for Archie in his yeah, final year. But, but there were a lot of uh, – how do I put this delicately? Um, deluded IU fans in thinking that Brad Stevens was going to leave the Celtics yeah, that, and come to IU. 
Stop it. You don't leave the Celtics. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop it. That's not going to happen. So in any case, uh, now that I've offended our IU fans, let's, uh, uh, anything from the world of Major League Baseball? Um, my goodness. Season starts this week. Uh, Thursday night is uh, opening day. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited. I'm pumped. It's, you know, we didn't get a full season last year. We're getting a full season this year, knock on wood. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, the Mets are trying to sign two of their stars to long-term contracts. So we'll, and they've kind of set the deadline as opening day. So we'll see if Francisco Lindor signs and we'll see if Michael Conforto signs as well. Okay. So that's what we're watching in, in, in Mets world. Okay. Okay, and your like what six week fantasy baseball draft has come to an end. Yeah, yeah, it ended last week. Okay, and we're we're getting ready for the regular season. Okay, we're gearing up. And then quickly on your Knicks, how are they doing? Uh, fourth in the East, two games over five hundred. Um, okay. Now the eighth seed in the East is only two games under five hundred. So it's there's a lot of there's teams a log jam up. towards the back. So so it could um, go poorly. Uh, Mitchell Robinson uh, uh, broke his foot, uh, so. He's our very, very athletic center um, who yeah. had been playing, and he's um, out for extended time now. So, All right. All right. So we are recording on the Monday morning of, mm-hmm. uh, of Holy Week, yeah. the Monday before Easter. And so we thought that it might be a nice uh, way to, uh, to mark that occasion – by uh, by talking through or by reading mm-hmm. some key scripture uh, about Jesus' crucifixion, kind of talking through things that kind of catch our attention, as well as his resurrection. So that's uh, that's our plan of attack for today. But before we do that, uh, John, any any Easter traditions or favorite Easter memories for you growing up or even current? Yeah. Um, so growing up, uh, my parents were not about giving giving us these big Easter baskets that mm-hmm. had all the candies and everything. And so my parents, every Easter morning, would hide presents uh, throughout the house. And we would go find one big present for ourselves or something that they had bought us uh, for wow. Easter. Instead of like the traditional like big thing of chocolate that we get hopped up on and, you know, destroy the house or whatever we, we would get I remember getting uh, uh, hockey pads when I was a kid to play goalie in street hockey or you know something something like okay. that uh, something that encouraged activity outdoors and, and things like that uh, we okay. would we would do egg hunts in the afternoon we go to mm-hmm. church and all those things but that's that's the piece that's always stuck out to me is a little bit different um, gotcha how about yourself um, anything growing up or or you've done with your boys yeah we did the um, I remember growing up we would not every Easter Sunday, but often on Easter Sunday, we'd have a an Easter egg hunt at my grandparents' hmm. house out in their yard. Um, but uh, we, my parents would always give us the uh, you know we'd get the big basket of of candy, and I, I think even now, even though my sons are uh, almost twenty three and almost twenty that they'll get some sort of Easter nice. basket of candy of some kind. Um, I One thing that, that I do remember is when I was involved in our youth group in uh, in high school, we would do the sunrise service. Ooh. You know, so we're talking like 
6 a.m. kind of service on Sunday morning yeah. of Easter. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they just thought, well, the hardcore people come, but they're not really awake. So we'll, we'll throw the youth out there and see <laughs> what, the, what happens. But, you know, in some ways it was it was a you know, an interesting experience. So. I, I once went to a church that did a sunrise service with breakfast. Yeah, we would do breakfast afterwards. No, I think we did breakfast during. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so like you would be there and you would eat. Um, While the service was going on? Yeah, yeah. And it was like a short devotional sort okay. of things. The, gotcha. the, the most important thing was that you were gathering, or at least what felt to me, we were gathering for breakfast, sure. you know, and there was a short <laughs> devotional about Easter. And then we come together and have a full service. I see. Um, okay. At the normal time. All right. Yeah. And, and I'm a big fan of the breakfast foods. So I'm a huge fan of the breakfast foods myself. So, but, uh, but yeah, do you have any big plans for this, uh, this upcoming Easter? Uh, it's my wife's birthday on okay. Easter Sunday. So, uh, we'll be celebrating, uh, both <laughs> the risen Lord and, uh, and my wife's, uh, birthday. Yeah. So. Good stuff. Yeah. We'll be heading to Ohio to see, uh, to see my family. So that'll be, that'll be nice. But uh, I do think that as we move into this week, um, getting us off to a good start here with the, uh, the scripture passages that, you know, I think can be familiar to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes our familiarity with scripture can actually be uh, counterproductive in the sense that it uh, blinds us to some things that are actually in the text that we maybe don't notice or just we don't slow down as we read these texts because we're like, oh, yeah, 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 this is the story of this. Sure. We've become so familiar with it we can glaze over it or, or right. pass over it. Yeah. And side note, this is one of the advantages of uh, working in the original languages. Mm-hmm. It forces you to slow down. It does, yeah. And, and that's one of the av- – that's some, one of the things we talk about in Greek quite a bit is like mm-hmm. it forces you to – see things that maybe you didn't see in yeah. the original text. Absolutely. And so uh, what we're going to do is we'll read um, – We, you know, obviously each gospel account has its own uh, version of the crucifixion story. So we will uh, – we just for the sake of, I think, brevity, we've basically chosen the Mark version. So why don't we go ahead and uh, – do you want to read the the whole thing all at once and just kind of yeah. talk through it? Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Um, let's see. We're reading Mark, Mark 15, 15 uh, 21 uh, to 39. Oop, get my Bible position correctly here without <laughs> knocking over the microphone. All right, so starting in verse 21. Uh, and they compelled uh, a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, uh, who was coming in from the country. Uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, uh, to carry his cross. Uh, And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, uh, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine uh, mixed with myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments amongst them, casting lots for them uh, to decide uh, uh, what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charges against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, uh, one on his right and one on his left. 
Uh, and those who passed by derided him, uh, waging, or excuse me, wagging uh, their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Uh, let the Christ the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe uh, those who were crucified with him also reviled him. You got to read the rest of the passage there? Oh, my bad. The paragraph ended. My bad. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Uh, And when the sixth hour had come, uh, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema uh, sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling to Elijah. And someone ran uh, and filled a sponge with sour sour wine, uh, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion uh, who stood facing him saw uh, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Okay. So, obviously, this passage is uh, incredibly rich. We're not going to even pretend that we will uh, hit all the key points or even uh, many of the key points, but just wanted to pull out some things that that, uh, I think are worth uh, calling attention to and reflecting on. Um, Some of more kind of historical note versus, you know, theological, but – you know, when you when you start that passage, it is interesting that Mark goes out of his way to name. He does, yes. I, I was noticing that as I was reading that that he named Simon, Simon, and that he goes on to say he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Is it a fair assumption to make that these are uh, people in the early church uh, that the readers would have been familiar with? Yeah, I I think that. I'm hard-pressed to come up with another explanation as to why Mark would identify these people unless he expected at least a chunk of his readers to go, oh, yeah, Alexander and Rufus. Yeah, Yeah, we know those guys. Their dad was the one that carried Jesus' cross. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense to me. And I will suggest to you also that it's one of those indirect indicators of uh, how the gospel writers relied on eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. When it comes to their recounting their versions of what happened, that it's not just relying strictly necessarily on, um, you know, tradition, so to speak, but that they, uh, more so even Luke, I think, uh, went out of their way to talk to eyewitnesses of these things. Sure, and ba- base it in in history. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, what 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 are some things that grabbed you? Um, 
My goodness. Uh, well, the the first thing is is that um, there's something in there that's neither Greek nor English. <laughs> um, yes. That one of those things where as you're reading, you go, "Oh my goodness, how do I pronounce this?" And you go, "I just got to fake it till I make it here." Yep, totally. W- w- what do you make of that, and and why is it not translated for us? Yeah, so that's um, you're talking about what happens there in verse. Um, what is that there? That's 40, 30, 34. 34, Yeah, when Jesus cries out, "Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani," um, that's uh, Aramaic, mm-hmm. a, a sort of just direct attempt in English to render what is what are the Aramaic words. So not translate them, but essentially transliterate them. Yeah, uh, and. That is the first line of Psalm 22, verse hmm. 1. And so in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. Sure. Which, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I think the reason that translations keep the Aramaic equivalent is because that's in essence, what the Greek does, they instead of translating it in Greek, it's just they do the same thing of transliterating. Here's how you write this in Greek, the sounds that are made in Aramaic. Hmm. But I think it also helps explain the actions of the, of the crowd. They mistake when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, they think he's saying Elijah, and which oh, is why they okay. then – Say, wait a minute, let's see if Elijah comes and brings him down from the cross. Yeah. When in fact he's saying Eli, which is my God, mm-hmm. L being the, the Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, one of the words for God. So hmm. my God, my God, they mistakenly hear him as saying Elijah, it's a shortened version of Elijah's name. Sure. Interesting. Um, now, I've I've read about this uh, reference to Psalm 22, the, mm-hmm. the first line. Um, there are some scholars who would say, and I'm, I don't think I know your opinion about this. There are some scholars who would say he's reading the first line, and that's supposed to be representative of Jesus reciting the whole psalm um, here on the cross. Um, thoughts? Is that is that something you would like? It's a possibility. It mm-hmm. absolutely happened. No, this is exactly what was said. Like, where, where do you fall in that? Well, I don't, I don't know that. Um, I'm hesitant to say that Jesus recited that whole psalm on the cross because mm-hmm. I just don't think. I mean, that that seems like a jump to me. Okay. However, it is very evident that Mark's uh, account and the other gospel writers as well, they are borrowing language from Psalm 22 to hmm. describe the crucifixion. So you see it not just in him actually quoting that first line, but uh, in verse 24 when it says that they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Uh, that's picking up language from Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, hmm. And then when uh, it describes in verse 29, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying uh, – so – that's language borrowed from Psalm 22.7. So it's pretty apparent that Mark is helping the reader to see that Psalm 22 forms an important backdrop to what's happening here. And so that psalm is a psalm of David mm-hmm. where he's talking about his suffering at the hands of evil opponents. 
Yeah, and so it, it's providing a bit of color and backdrop to the to the crucifixion that we're having here. Yeah, and I think that it, it it's also helping you to see when you understand David as the king mm-hmm. that this is part of the way that he is presenting um, the uh, he's presenting Jesus as the promised Davidic king. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, what, one other thing uh, in there. What what do you make of the uh, veil um, being torn in that moment. Um, it says, and it specifically mentions it from top yes. to bottom, not bottom to top. Um, right. What do you make of that and why is that significant? Right. So that, that veil is what separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. So inside the temple itself where only the priests could go, right? Only the priests could go into the main temple area. And then only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies mm-hmm. where the um, Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be. And um, so that veil is like crazy thick. I can't remember the specific numbers, but I think it might have been like even like two feet thick. Wow. So this is not something that any normal human being obviously is going to just be able to, you know, oops, Pulled on it too tightly, and it's and it tore. Yeah, and the fact that it tore from top to bottom is emphasizing that God is the one who has torn that veil as a picture of now we have access to God through Jesus. That mm. the the veil that blocked our access is now torn away, and we have access to God through Jesus. I think also I want to point out this is one of my favorite features of this passage is there's a lot of irony in here. Mm-hmm. That you know he's he's being crucified as the king of the Jews, and that's what he is. Yeah, but they're mocking him as that. Mm-hmm. You know, and when the when the religious leaders mock him with, "You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross." Well, the whole reason he won't save himself <laughs> is so that he will save us. Yes. And and he does do that, right? Right. right. He he does accomplish that in, in in his resurrection, right? And so it's it's so striking to see how Mark has intentionally written this to show the irony of these people are actually in some ways making it even more clear about Jesus' identity. Sure. So uh, plenty we could talk about there, but I think we probably need to move on to the resurrection account. And again, with the resurrection, obviously, actually. Sorry, I want to hit one more thing. On that Mark passage, it is striking that that the the account of the crucifixion climaxes with a centurion, a Roman centurion, yeah. making the climactic declaration. declaration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's a good this point. This truly is the Son of God. Hmm. So very uh, important observation, I think, there. Let's look at Luke 24 now in terms of the resurrection Again, each um, gospel account has its own version of the resurrection account. So we're going to look at uh, Luke 24, and we'll go ahead and read uh, – I'll go ahead and read the first uh, 12 verses here to, to capture the resurrection account. Okay. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared – And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Hmm. Yeah, so lots we can talk about there. What are some initial observations, John, that, that catch your attention? Um, well, I, I think the, the thing that always stands out about this passage to me anytime I read it is the people who are going to the tomb are, are all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and female testimony wasn't particularly taken seriously uh, during this day. Um, it wasn't a trusted source. Not even really allowed, to be honest. Yeah. Like it, it was just not viewed as valid. And so it, it does seem important uh, and uh, cultural defying maybe that, that, that women were a part of uh, the group that mm-hmm. uh, found Jesus' tomb empty originally. Well, and I think it's also a mark of historical authenticity hmm. because if you were – if you were scheming to create an account that would be widely believable, you would never pick women in the mm. first century as your like first witnesses of this happened because culturally speaking, that, that would just be dismissible of like, oh, come on, women, seriously, just because of the first cultural context. Sure. So I think it is both sort of uh, – cross-cultural and pushback, but it's also a mark of historical authenticity that if you were going to make this up, you'd never do that because it would undermine your credibility within uh, your contemporary culture. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then, and then, of course, the apostles don't believe the women when they show up, right? Yeah. They're, they're kind of like, you crazy women and your, right. your fancy tales, you know? Right. Yes. And yet... Part of this is what part of what endears me to Peter is he's hopeful. He's like, if there's a chance they're right, yeah. if there's yeah. just a chance that they're right, I gotta see. Like, I just have to check it out, even if I think eh, not likely. He's still like, I gotta go. I, I, if there's any remote chance that Jesus isn't dead, I gotta know. Yeah. So, um, could you the spices? What? <laughs> Why are they going to pour spices on a corpse? Well, it's just a – ultimately, it's a mark of um, – it's a combination of showing honor, but also it's a way of lessening the smell of the deteriorating okay. body. That, that would have been my sense. Um, that would have been my guess. But Yeah. So it's interesting too that you know we won't read the rest of the of, of Luke 24, but Luke has arguably the longest presentation of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And he has a particular emphasis in telling the resurrection, more so on this point than, than some other gospel accounts. And I just want to hit this briefly, is that he tells 
two stories in uh, that happened on this day that emphasize that now with the resurrection of Jesus, the key to actually reading the scriptures correctly has been given. Mm-hmm. You've got the story of him encountering the men on the two men on the road to Emmaus, where that where he basically says, you know, don't you get that the Christ had to suffer and they don't get it. And so he explains, starting with Moses, hmm. all these passages that point towards him. And I would say it's really the totality of the Old Testament, not just cherry picking specific passages. But also then later that same night, Jesus appears to the gathered disciples in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he says again, basically, uh, now that the resurrection has happened, this is the key to reading scripture properly. Yeah. So I think that, that those two passages in particular uh, are really some of the most important hermeneutical passages that come out of this, uh, out of, out of um, really the entire scriptures. I remember in seminary wrestling with those passages and how important they were for developing how I read uh, the Old Testament. Yeah. But I think it would be good for us as we kind of wind this discussion down, uh, as valuable and important as those things are, to not get lost in the academics of it and and miss out on the wonder that Jesus was dead Mm -hmm. and then he was alive. That that doesn't happen. That that that's not something yeah. that's just like oh well yeah duh and I think sometimes we get so we're so accustomed to yeah Jesus rose from the dead and we miss out on the wonder of he was fully dead yeah and the the grief and the mourning and the sadness of thinking about we thought this was the one we thought he was mm-hmm. the promised king and now he's dead and now what where do we go from here guys like we were all in with Jesus and now. It's over. Yeah. And I mean, the disciples were clearly still hanging out. They were still together. They weren't, I don't know what they were doing for three days, you know, but those three days had to be maddening. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, uh, even as we celebrate this week, the resurrection of Jesus, and in one sense, of course, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. That's why we gather on Sundays. Um, it's, It's good to take some time to reflect on the wonder of Jesus rising from the dead, and that that gives us hope for new life. Yeah, I I don't know if it's a recent uh, phenomenon at, at our church, but our pastors re- recently begun to say, "Thanks for starting your week here." You know, thank, thanks for being here to start your week, mm-hmm. and that's just sort of our. We often think of um, you know in the modern vernacular, we say the weekend. <laughs> yes, we think of Saturday and Sunday as sort of the the end of the week, but really yep. Sunday is is the beginning correct um, of the week correct and. Uh, and is uh, is um, the remembrance of the resurrection each absolutely. Sunday at church. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a couple of uh, resources that could help people out. Yeah, yeah. Anything you'd recommend? If you are interested in looking at uh, a, a resource that puts the passages together, all the different passages from the Gospels that kind of map out Jesus' last week before the crucifixion in Jerusalem – Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor wrote a book called The Final Days of Jesus, which is really accessible, readable. Mm. Highly recommend that. And then uh, John Piper wrote a book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, reflecting on the necessity of and and what uh, what the death of Jesus accomplished for us. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's a classic. For it sure. is. It is, and it's real thin. It's real short. You know? I think each chapter, each reason, each chapter might is, be one page. Yeah, page or yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. So it's real short. Really uh, bite-sized, digestible. Great to reflect on. So, but we are on episode sixty-five. So we need an athlete. Yeah, um, and believe it or not, uh, sixty-five is not uh, plentiful with uh, stellar <laughs> top shelf uh, athletes. Yeah, we 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 I think underestimated how much we'd struggle in the sixties here, but we're going to press forward because yeah. we are professional broadcasters now, and so <laughs> I, I suppose so. <laughs> um, well, I'll I'll go ahead and read through some of these, and, and maybe you'd like to give comment to a few of them. Okay, um, Eric Carlson. Yeah, do you think he's Swedish? I believe so. <laughs> um, and uh, he's an, a current NHL yes. player, uh, yes. defenseman. Yeah. I, I'm not even quite sure who for, but San Jose maybe. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Okay, um, San Jose kind of has a history of being a stellar regular season team <laughs> that can never put it together in the playoffs. I don't want to offend our San Jose Sharks fans out there. Careful. There's a large but, contingent uh, <laughs> of those. Um, uh, our next athlete, Gary Zimmerman. Yes. Uh, NFL, 84 to 97. He played for uh, for quite a bit. Yeah, I think, I think he was a guard, played for the Vikings and the Broncos. Yep. Okay. Uh, here's a name. Uh, Elvin Betha. Bethea. Bethea. Excuse yep. me. Yep. And he was with Houston? The Oilers. Yeah, Houston the Oilers. original Oilers, yes, from 68 to, to 83. It was a defensive end. Now the Tennessee Titans. Yes. And then lastly for the pros, we have George Katkovich. Yeah, there's no way I was going to be able to pronounce that. Yeah, so, Katkovich. Uh, he, he's a bit of a mystery man because one of the sites that I use to come up with our list indicates uh, – that I look at is you know NBA players that wore certain numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So – he is listed as having worn 65, but I cannot find a darn thing about him on the internet besides <laughs> the fact that he was an NBA player that wore 65, like not where he played, Interesting. nothing. So he's he's a mystery man. We don't know when he lived even? I, I, I could not find a Wikipedia page. I couldn't find him wow. in a quick look on NBA.com. So he is our mystery man. Wore the number 65. And then lastly, our Ohio State uh, representative, Pat Elfline. Was a guard and then a center for Ohio State from 2012 to 2016. Played in their national championship okay. game. Still is in the NFL, I believe. I think it's at one point he was playing with the Vikings. Okay. So, and he won the uh, Remington Trophy in college football, which is given to the best center in college oh. football. Um, who do you like? <laughs> yeah, I might as well just throw him up on the dartboard there, right? And just uh, start. Uh, I- I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip over Eric Carlson because I, 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 I'm sensing that maybe next episode we've got a – I think uh, next episode we'll have a, a, a hockey player yes, in strong, I, content, uh, strong contention. I think so. So, um, I mean, when when stuck with, with this kind of decision, I either default towards the Ohio State guy or, or – the obscure. The most obscure. <laughs> so do you have a, a, a leaning, John? I'd be fine going with the Ohio State guy. I, I'm I'm also okay going with George uh, Mystery Man Katkovich. Katkovich. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do it. I'm gonna go. Let's go with George Katkovich. George Katkovich. Yeah. Uh, the only 
NBA player to wear, wear that number, that, right? That's my understanding. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, we'll uh, <clears throat> we'll have to we'll have to see if many maybe some of our listeners could could crowdsource this for us and could do uh, some research for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, we are on to one thing you liked. Yeah. So uh, this Sunday. Um, my wife uh, got baptized, so that was uh, that was very exciting for us. And one thing that's come about since being married is I am a crying mess all the time, and so <laughs> I am just in the back row of church, just just crying my eyes out mm-hmm. that my wife is getting baptized. So. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a fun moment to see yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So uh, glad to see that happening, and 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 just to clarify, she's been a believer for a long time. Yeah, yeah, but was, was when she was born was born into a Lutheran congregation was baptized as a as a baby and I think has been feeling the need to get baptized ever since uh, joining Believers Baptist Church which she did in high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that is a requirement at our church yep. at, at Christ Covenant Church to you have to be baptized uh, in order to be a member and baptized as a um, as a uh, believer's baptism. So yep. there we go. My one thing we uh, I liked is uh, somewhat related in the fact that I preached the last two Sundays at CCC. Okay. So it was a great privilege to preach uh, through 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Previous week was verses 1 to 6. This week was verses 7 through 18. A lot of fun to be able to preach on a baptism Sunday and uh, knowing that there would be a decent number of – family and relatives and friends and such that um, were there who weren't believers. It was it was a, a treat to know that there would be a decent number of unbelievers in the in the uh, in the crowd that morning uh, to be able to preach the gospel clearly to them. Very cool. Yeah, it was it was wonderful to send under your preaching for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So well we have talked March Madness. We've talked the crucifixion and resurrection. We've talked about several athletes we'd never heard of before. That's right. Yep. (laughs) And we have talked about uh, how much we enjoy participating in our local church. Mm -hmm. And the Suez Canal. Don't forget. I did forget the Suez Canal. We did talk some Suez Canal. Hopefully by next week we'll have uh, cleared that up and gotten – yeah, it's been global trade fixed. Well, it was partially loosened uh, this morning. That was the big news this morning. Is it's it's been knocked loose. <laughs> okay, the the WD forty has uh, yeah, taken yeah. its effect there, uh, and apparently a full moon is coming up, and and that's going to rise the tides. Okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> hope springs eternal Hot in the Suez from Canal. John Sloat. You, you, <laughs> you are our global trade and canal uh, correspondent. That's right program so me and twitter yes that's right well i think there should be little doubt that we have covered our various and sundry topics and we are ready to call mission accomplished i think so meaning that all that is left to say at this point is the lord bless y'all real good later later